This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Buy the book on BFM 89.9. Title, Foundation, Author, Isaac Asimov. Encyclopedia Galactica, 116th edition. Entry, Hardy Selden. Born the 11,988th year of the Galactic Era. Died 12,069. Birthplace, Helicon, Arcturus Sector. He showed amazing ability in mathematics at a very early age. Anecdotes concerning his ability are innumerable and some contradictory. Undoubtedly, his greatest contributions were in the field of cycle history. Selden found the field little more than a set of vague axioms. He left it a profound statistical science. Hello everyone, you're listening to Buy the Book with me, Sharmila Ganesan. And as always, my fellow fictional space traveller, Lee Chui Lin. Hello. And today we are also joined by Star Lifestyle's uh, resident pop culture geek, Michael Chang. Hi, everyone. So Welcome it, from space. <laughs> it's actually our monthly book club episode, and that's where we usually invite someone else to join us. And that's why Michael is here with his suggestion of the book that we should talk about today, which is Isaac Asimov's Foundation. Just to give you a little bit of a background, that book is sort of seminal sci-fi text. Um, it's actually the first of a series. And um, I'll let Michael tell us why he picked this book for us to talk about today. Um, well, at first, Shamila asked me for suggestions and I wanted to suggest graphic novels, but it would have been too many for them to read. So I went to one of, this is, Foundation is basically one of my first science fiction one of the first science fiction series that I read. And that was at, at least 30 years ago. And I remember at the time that it stuck with me for so long that even though I haven't read it for over 20 years, I still remember bits and bits of, pieces of it and I know I loved it. So for this book club, I decided to go back to it and then, yeah, and I remembered why. And also because... The, there's, there's an Apple TV series coming out on the foundation. So this would have been the perfect series to review. Yeah, um, I was, I am cautiously, cautiously excited <laughs> about that, the series uh, that just dropped a couple of days ago. So I haven't watched it yet. Uh, but I'm also particularly interested because this is Lin's first introduction to Asimov. Um, and I was wondering how it worked for you. I really liked it. Um, I, I really liked particularly the... The stuff about it that would theoretically have made it boring, um, you know, so in other words, the fact that it's often these sort of internecine rivalries between, you know, various political factions, the idea that there is this grand arc of history that you're trying to disrupt or to follow or to not disrupt too much. And, you know, the various pushes and pulls between those things. Um, I enjoyed the characters a lot. I do have some thoughts mostly to do with the style of writing, which I think we can get into in a little bit. But I enjoyed reading it a lot and um, and I think perhaps you can both tell me whether or not this is actually a good introduction to Asimov I mean it felt like it was Foundation the first book is really weird because it's actually a collection of short stories 
they were published between, I think, 1942 and 1945 or something like that. And basically, you don't have one central character. I mean, every every story has a central character, but then it's you've got Harry Seldon, you've got the you've got the mayor. What's his name again? Uh, Salvo Hardin. Salvo Hardin, yes, it's all the HS words. <laughs> <laughs> Salvo Hardin, which is basically, I would wish that the series can did on was on on Hardin, but it's all short stories, but they are all interlinked. And they're all connected by Harry Seldon's psychohistory prediction of what the future will be like. So basically, you get an idea of what foundation is. The, the whole thing about foundation is I've always thought of it as the sum of all its parts, not just that first book. The trilogy itself was brilliant because you had that first introduction of foundation and then you had foundation and empire, which is a more linear story that leads into second foundation as well. So if you, you can't really see foundation as just that one book because it's that one book is broken into different stories as well. So it's a very confusing series for some people as well. So I I think, um, I mean, at this point, maybe giving a, a, a taste of what the story is would help if you haven't read it, right? Um, essentially, it's about a future galactic empire. So it's an empire of planets. And a mathematician called Harry Seldon comes up with a a theory called psychohistory, uh, which allows them to sort of predict statistically the the social, economic, political happenings of the future. And so the idea is that they would use this to prevent humanity from falling into ruin. Um, and so the whole series revolves around this idea. Now, Actually, to answer your question, Lynn, the reason I think that that book is a great introduction to Asimov is because uh, it really touches on a lot of the the ways in which he writes about science fiction, which is maybe not how we might think of science fiction in today's world, which is a lot more informed by pop culture and Hollywood, right? Um, instead, it's about theories and academics and about economics. And um, even his other books, they're very much, I think, concerned more with the ways in which human society functions and evolves rather than explosions and, and action. And because of that, I think if you like Foundation, you'd very much like everything else he's written. The way I see it is, uh, while, while it is, of course, a science fiction text, there's no denying it, right? There's, there's nuclear shields, there's, there's ships, there's all, all the stuff there that you would want. Um, I viewed it actually in the context of it being an argument for history, um, for the importance of history and for, in some cases, um, you know, the rise and falls of civilizations and what you learn from understanding how those function. Because, um, really, it's looking at these ideas of, uh, for example, prosperity and how that determines how well or otherwise civilizations do. Um, it presents in some cases an argument for doing nothing when in fact, um, you know, the situation appears that it, it would call for conflict or for, for a wartime mentality. And so um, while I was reading it and understanding, of course, that it is a science fiction series of interlinked short stories, I can't say interlinked without thinking of Blade Runner, but anyway, um, <laughs> interlinked uh, short stories, I, I still overall um, found it read almost like a historical text, which is a strange thing for something that is set neither here nor there. I mean, it even has encyclopedia entries in between. Yeah, you have to understand it was written in the 40s where science fiction was basically what Jules Verne and all those kinds of things. Most people would have equated that to 
science fiction. You didn't get the Big Runners yet. You didn't get all the Star Wars and Star Trek yet. So a lot of it was based on Asimov's own ideas. On if you read the book, it's all about politics, religion, trade, and all these kind of things that's nothing to do with science fiction. I mean, it doesn't even sound like fiction at all because these are things that actually happen in the real world. Yeah, and and I think that's exactly why. I quite easily recommend this book to even people who are not science fiction fans. Um, some of his others, like the robot um, robot books and all that, maybe might be a little bit more, like you kind of have to love science fiction. But Foundation, especially the first few, I think that if you enjoy history, if you enjoy learning how society develops, um, if you enjoy the sort of machinations of power, uh, there's a lot here. You don't need to be hugely invested or even really understand uh, space travel or, or nuclear theory or, or all of these things. You actually just need to understand how uh, people and society functions. It's not even called nuclear power. It's called atomic power. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's how old this text is. <laughs> References to nucleics, I think. I'm not even yes. sure how you would pronounce that word. <laughs> Um, I, I think that uh, the 1940s-ness is also an important thing to say up front because there are parts of the text and the writing that read a little bit, um, how do I put it, potboily. Um, you know, if, if you're used to genre writers of that generation, writing in the 40s, 50s, 30s even, um, there are some turns of phrase, some language that I think you would associate with genre writers, not necessarily science fiction, um, but even detective novels. There's a, There's a certain way of uh, in which the language is used, which really very clearly earmarks it as a product of its time, even though the ideas, I think, are still fresh and relevant. But um, yeah, there's something about the style that actually really earmarks it to, to those decades of writing. Speaking of detective novels, uh, okay, like, like I said, I'm a bit of a, big, a huge fan of Star Wars and Star Trek, but I read Foundation at an age and a time when I was also obsessed with reading Agatha Christie's. So you know how the Hercule Poirot and then they have the case and then they solve it right at the end. Aha moment. <laughs> so I read Foundation at the time when I loved those kind of stories. So that format of having that the Harry Seldon crisis and then getting the solution right at the end, that really appealed to me very much at that time. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. So even so that when I started reading Foundation and Empire, I was a bit disappointed it didn't follow that format. Oh, but... you, you know, that's, that's so true because you're right that even for me, um, Asimov was probably my very first proper science fiction. And before that, I was very much reading mysteries. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it was a seamless jump into reading Foundation uh, because I think genre writing does that, right? Like genre writing has this build up and a solution in, in whatever, even if it's romance, even if it's thrillers or mysteries or sci-fi. There's a certain arc that's supposed to be very pleasing to the reader. And I think because he was very much a genre writer of his time, uh, he does follow that format. We -hmm. are talking about Isaac Asimov's Foundation, which was written back in the 1940s, the grandfather of much of today's science fiction. We're reading that well because our guest today, Michael Chang, suggested that we should. Let us know what you think. Are you a fan of Isaac Asimov or science fiction in general? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio or write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Break from monotony, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And today we're joined by Michael Chang, the Star Lifestyles resident pop culture geek, 
to talk about Isaac Asimov's Foundation, the first of a whole series of novels um, involving a galactic empire, um, a theory that allows you to predict the future, just really hardcore sci-fi stuff. Um, I wanted to touch on something you mentioned earlier, Lynn, um, both this 1940s-ness, but also how well the 1940s-ness translates into today's world and today's lens and today's reading tastes. Um, Michael and I might be a little bit biased, but I think I'll start with Michael first. Uh, you said you reread it. Does it feel different now that you read it with today's influences? You see a lot more of... I mean, it's very funny because when you... I read it because I wanted to read it again before the TV series comes out. And then after reading about the TV series and the story and what's going to happen, I was like, oh no, they're going to just mess this up, isn't it? But um, like it's, it is seen through the lens of a, 19, of a guy in the 1940s, but a lot of it is so relevant to today's. I mean, the religion part, the politics, the wars, everything they talk about, how this will affect that, and the history of it all, because where everything is just interconnected, not interlinked, like Blade Runner. <laughs> but yeah, it, reading it as an adult compared to, let's say, reading it as a 13 or 14 year old, you understand a lot more about how things work and the politics of it and how this might actually make sense finally as an adult. And does what that about, make sense? Yes, yes, it does. It does. Um, Lynn, what about for you? I think good sci fi always does that, right? Um, you know, the whole idea of it is that it's not just supposed to be a prediction of the future because then you get caught into, well, that would never happen or look at our phones now, you never predicted that, you know, and, and that's not the point. Like, I, I think that if, if that's all sci-fi is doing, then then it can't justify its own existence. Um, so I think like all good sci-fi, it feels relevant because... Um, because of the historical elements we spoke about earlier, I think, because there will always be people struggling for power, because there will always be people trying to um, control others or control large populations through any means possible, through any philosophies possible. And I think he wrote about those things really, really well. And um, I think... The other thing here, and this is both a weakness and a strength, uh, his characters are not really characters. Like, like they're just there to, to further the plot, right? Like, um, you know, earlier, I think the fact that we couldn't remember people's names say, says a lot. You've got the psycho-historian, you've got the mayor, you've got the trader, you've got the, the people in power. You don't really need to know their names. Um, in fact, he sometimes starts referring to them as the mayor halfway through, and I think he's expecting this from his reader. But um, because the characters aren't really deep studies, um, you get to therefore think a little bit more about the concepts that he's putting through rather than diving deep into the tortured psyche of a man, you know, torn between commerce and whatever. Like, there's none of that. Oh, and, you know, the story doesn't make any bones, right? They, it, in fact, says many times that the individual person doesn't matter very much, that what actually yep. matters is yep. the broad swaths of um, history mm -hmm. and people. Um, and, and I think that's maybe... Asimov giving himself a little bit of a loophole in that, oh, I don't have to develop these guys. They hardly matter. Um, I've got these ideas and then just let people talk about it. And yeah. Who, who's that guy? <laughs> that guy, you know, the mayor, that guy. Um, but I will say that the most recent readings I've had of the books, the things that stood out for me, unfortunately, are things that 
I think you could say about any male sci-fi writer writing at that particular point in time, right? The fact that there are hardly any female characters. A couple there pop up. No. <laughs> yeah, there are none in this one. In the in the latter books, there are a couple here and there, but certainly none of them do very much that's particularly important. Um, you know, there's also a definite sort of Western lens through which everything is written by. So these things I can understand how to, like an audience today, especially if you're coming to it fresh, would feel mm-hmm. a little bit uncomfortable and perhaps like, oh, I wish there was more of this. So I think it's important to know the context of when the book was written. And how it was written, because this was basically a collection of short stories. So he didn't have time to develop all these characters. He only had these ideas. He had a certain amount of time, a certain amount of pages to fill. And he just wrote it based on what he thought of the idea. He just, he just wanted to put through the ideas and stuff. And that's the beauty of Foundation, I think, because Foundation as a book is a collection of short stories. But Foundation as a series, as the whole trilogy, as the new trilogy, that is astoundingly good. That is really, really good because he expands it so much that I still consider it a lot of rings of science fiction. I I can definitely see that. And I think, um, you know, like we said earlier, it's... I think it's okay to acknowledge the weaknesses of the text um, while also thinking about how it contributes to the the overall outcome, which is to say a really good read and one that stands up um, deservedly, I think, in the in the science fiction pantheon. Um, the the only thing for me, as as a fresh reader to this, um, and as someone who somewhat expected it, um, you know, knowing again what I'm getting myself into. I think what bothered me is that there is a lot to do with a foundation that is about the gatekeeping of information. And, um, you know, at each level, there are different levels of information being kept from the general public. Um, you know, some people, even people who are powerful, such as the, the hypothetical priests in the stories, they also lack knowledge um, that's being kept from them for various reasons. And um, at each level, the gatekeeper of knowledge was a man. And so I think that's the part that, that rubbed me I wouldn't say the wrong way, but I think um, if I go into... I don't necessarily go into every text looking for the female character, but I think when every single character in the book is pretty much male, with the exception of a wife, um, and then who wasn't likable, uh, mind who, who was horrid, <laughs> really, really horrid, and also used as a pawn in a power play. That that's the other thing, um, but also just the issue of the fact that knowledge is being gate kept, and that's fine. That's an important part of the story, and everybody who holds the knowledge men. I think that was something that I I, I grappled with a little bit as the book went on. You know, I never noticed this when I was a kid. And so that says a lot to things about how much we've changed as well, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, That even I, who, well, am a woman growing up, and and this was the case with everything. I never watched Star Wars and thought, why aren't there more women? I never read Lord of the Rings and wondered why the women didn't get to go on adventures, right? Um, So I never read Foundation and wondered why there weren't women who were mayors or going off on space adventures. But now I do. And I think... um, I think that says a lot about how we've changed. And that doesn't mean that the previous books didn't work or weren't good. But I think that we can learn a lot while also changing things and and trying to do things better. That's actually something I never really thought about, actually. Because, well, being male, I probably probably wouldn't have thought about that as much. But then, yeah, you're right. Now that you actually mentioned it, there are hardly any women characters. So my question now is, if there were, 
how do you think they would have changed the story? Because that story would have been such a... <laughs> I'm just thinking of how women were generally portrayed in pop culture at that time. And I feel like mm. I might have hated it even more. I don't think there was even a thing such as pop culture at the time. I yeah. mean, Superman was just invented and like three years after that, I think, or before that, something like that. So there was no such thing as pop culture. So everything was what they were feeding the masses. Look, I mean, <laughs> we, we've said quite a bit about the characterization, even if we had female characters. So either they'd be damsels in distress, again, because genre writer, genre writer of the 1940s, you've got your damsel in distress or you've got your um, femme fatale. You know, these are the options. So or the, either or way, the annoying wife. Yeah, or the nag. So, um, you know, <laughs> Either which way, not very appealing. But the other thing is, even if he had decided to be progressive and, and include female characters, they'd probably be as well written as these characters. Which is <laughs> that, woman say, in the, that woman which in the blue say. dress. That woman yeah. who fell down the whatever. It's like Susan. Susan yeah. said this. But who's Susan? Don't know. So, you know, I, I, I think that, um, yeah, I'm not necessarily arguing, you know, for it. It's more that um, as a reader now, I, I wondered whether it would have been an alienating experience um, growing up and reading it, you know, or, or feeling that way as opposed to having what is a fair amount of critical distance from the idea and reading it as an adult now and, you know, engaging with the ideas, enjoying the read and, and noticing this issue. I just wanted to quickly say that I suddenly remember that there is actually a really good female character in Prelude to the Foundation, Doris yes. Um And it, I think it's telling that that book was written much, much later uh, and much later in his career as well. So I think even Asimov, from that sort of perspective, I think changed and wrote better as he went along. And and I mean, I find that kind of encouraging to think about, which I literally just uh, thought of. I just wanted to close off by, um, well, I have a question for Lynn, and then I have a general question. Uh, so Lynn, do you think you might want to read more of Foundation? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I've it was a very easy read. I think that um, that's another thing. While I sound generally a bit down about the language, I think that the um, that's also part of what makes it very quick. Um, you, you kind of speed through because it's written very, very simply, even though the ideas that it's putting across are complex. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a really... I'd like to continue on this journey of no women until the prelude. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty um, much so yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, and the other question I had for, for everyone really was, um, would you still recommend this to a reader of today who had no prior context or, or even attachment to sci-fi of that era? I would, but only if you continue on to, to read the other books as well. Because Foundation, okay, like you mentioned Prelude to Foundation. That was written. I think in the 80s that's 40 years after Foundation was first released so obviously Asimov's writing got a lot better then and then he and all those characterization we saw that was lacking in Foundation started coming through in the later books so you got more characters in fact you got characters from other series and it, it, well, I, mean, I won't spoil it for Lin but it's the, the scope of the whole series makes it worthwhile to read it because you get all your characterization, the development, the whole, you get a bigger picture of the world he was actually building. I would, but for a very general reason. Um, so I, I, like I said, I enjoyed it. But the reason why I would recommend it is because I think whether or not you like science fiction, 
you should read Isaac Asimov. Uh, you know, it's it's a, he's someone who's been on my list for a long time and I love science fiction. But I think there are also lots of people who say they don't like sci-fi who perhaps have never actually tried it. And so if you are going to read science fiction, um, a lot of the ideas and the, the DNA and the... There's a reason why he's still being adapted. There's a reason why, you know, these are concepts that people still talk about. So for that reason, um, not so much for very specific foundation-loving reasons, um, I just think... You should. Um, everybody should. I said Asimov is like the token of science fiction, right? I think that's why a lot of people are very hesitant to read Asimov because it's people bring him up to be like, oh, it's like this huge tome, so many books, and then it's going to be so hard to read, like Tolkien. I mean, it's written in the 1940s. It's going to be so hard to read. I wouldn't be able to understand it. Well, the fact that a lot of his ideas are still around right now, especially the three laws of robotics, means that he is not just a good writer, but his ideas make him more of a scientist rather than just a science fiction writer. So that's why people should read Asimov rather than just because, oh, he's the grandfather of science fiction. Well, you guys covered everything I would have said. I just wanted to add on perhaps and say that people sometimes think science fiction can be difficult to read. Isaac Asimov is really easy to read. And and I'm a big fan of recommending easy to read books to people who perhaps are not huge fans of a particular genre. Um, and, and so adding on to everything you guys said. I, I'm definitely on the side of I'd still recommend this book. Uh, we are, of course, talking about Isaac Asimov's Foundation, the first of um, a whole series of books, um, a sort of mainstay in science fiction. It was written back in the 1940s. Let us know, have you read Asimov? What are some of your favorite science fiction books? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. <music> And we thought we'll close off this discussion with um, a pretty simple concept, books in space or books set in space, rather. Um, and just share some personal recommendations, books that we love that sort of occupies this genre. Uh, Michael, why don't you kick us off? Um, what, would, what do you have to recommend? I would recommend a graphic novel called Saga. It's written by Brian K. Vaughan and with art by Fiona Staples, published by Image Comics. It's really good. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, let's say, it's about these two aliens, one male, one female from different races who get together, fall in love and have a child and have to go on the run. And then they have to, basically, their, their two races are always fighting. They're always at war. So they have to go on a run and then people are hunting them down and then there are weird aliens with TV sets as their heads and then Ghosts that are disembowered who becomes a nanny for the baby. It's set in space. It's fun. It's like Star. People have described it as Star Wars meets Game of Thrones. But then I would just say that it's if you love Star Wars, you will love this comic. Yeah, Saga was basically the terror and joy and excitement of becoming a parent. But realizing, like, if you try and describe that to other people, like, you just watch their eyes glaze over, and no one wants to hear you talk about your boring kids. So 
by setting in this sort of grand space opera universe. I was hoping to sort of give you the feeling of what it's like to create something. So I think fiction used to always be about preparing us for the worst things in life and death obviously being the, the hardest, losing your loved ones or your own life. But uh, so fiction always involved. Every Shakespeare play has how many people dying in it. Uh, I don't think I'm doing anything new or inventive. I'm just doing what we used to do, which is just tell stories that had real stakes that you would fall in love with characters and then lose them forever. That used to be common. So um, I'm just doing it the old school way. I've been wanting to read Saga for ages. It's just the size of the series that's put me off. I mean, graphic novels <laughs> in huge series can get quite expensive. Um, but but yeah, that, that just reminded me of how much I wanted to read it. I, um, I, I wanted to do a quick sweep, right? Um, in the sense that I'm just going to say that Ray Bradbury has written a lot about space and Mars in particular, and we've talked about him a lot on the show, so we don't have to belabor the point. But as far as space books go, uh, that's a great one. Uh, Dune, Frank Herbert, of course, about to explode into public consciousness once more because of the movie. But again, I don't think we need to belabor the point. Also an excellent book that involves space. Um, I, I, I also just wanted to mention uh, a book that I've talked about before on the show, and I think this is probably my third or fourth or even fifth time recommending it. But not enough people have come back and said they have read it. So I'm just going to persist. Are you, um, are you targeting me? I feel a little on the spot. Sharmila, <laughs> Sharmila, come on, we're friends. I, I could just have this conversation with you off air. I wouldn't do that. Um, but I wanted to mention uh, the book of strange new things by Michelle Faber, and that is uh, a book in which really was written in the aftermath of his wife's passing, and um, features essentially a man who has travelled, you know, far beyond his own galaxy to try to spread the good word um, to literally you know, function as an emissary of religion um, and, and peace and love. But he's leaving behind a world, our world, um, in a state of just disarray. You know, we're on the verge of war and climate and just everything else. And it's about the distance between people. Um, and I, I don't think that there is a distance that is more, it, that feels more insurmountable than that. The novel really looks at what happens, not just to him on, on his adventures in this strange new world but also what happens to her on our world and what happens to their marriage to their relationship it's a book so much about human beings and the um, the nuances of the interactions between human beings um, which is obviously not usually what classic science fiction is about I think it's a beautiful example of how this idea of space travel can be can be adventurous, it can be um, all these things that we enjoy, but it can also be about really deep emotional philosophical conversations and serve as a conduit for that so yeah not enough people come back and say they've read it so the book of strange new things i will read it as soon as i, I will possibly can I will go look for I, it. i'm sorry i'm sorry i, I started yelling <laughs> i wanted to talk about very cheaply something that we've discussed on the show and also backsell that interview because uh, we spoke with Andy Weir about Project Hail Mary and mm. I think um, for me at least perhaps because it's the most recent read I've had uh, aside from Foundation that really lived in space I loved that one because it captures the same feeling of the Martian of surviving of a person surviving in what is truly an alien space and uh, with the Martian it was Mars um, but with Project Hail Mary it's what happens when you're no longer in your galaxy mm -hmm. and you are stuck on a ship 
and you have help from an unexpected quarter and you guys can't breathe each other's air. And, you know, it's really about that concept of surviving in space. And I know that there's a lot of books around that. But this one is um, has a particular lightness to the tone that I really enjoyed. So I just wanted to, to mention that. I... I would have happily picked that book, except I had a feeling you were going to. So I didn't. Um, I'm going to jump in with two recommendations and then we can close off with one more from Michael. Uh, I think almost as a counterpoint to Asimov and the maleness of our earlier discussion, uh, I wanted to recommend, well, really the entire Hainish cycle by um, Ursula K. Le Guin. But in particular, if you wanted one to start off with The Left Hand of Darkness, uh, it is, it's, it's essentially a story of a, a sort of an emissary from, um, well, Earth is not called Earth anymore. I think it's called Terra, an emissary that's sent to a different planet. And the whole thing is about how he has to learn to um, adapt and work with the people there. And what's special about this planet that that he's been sent to is that um, it's a world where uh, genders are malleable. So people can choose what gender they want to be. They can change genders if they want. So it's a very... Um, forward-thinking, progressive, modern book written by, again, another huge name that often comes up in sci-fi. Um, if you haven't read Ursula K. Le Guin, I came to her quite late. Um, and if you think that women don't necessarily write sci-fi or didn't used to, I think she's a great example. Uh, the other one that I wanted to recommend, which is also um, a book by a female writer, is uh, Binti by Nede Okorafor. And that sort of merges the um, space travel and, and and sort of different cultures in space, that concept with African culture. So it's an extremely good example of Afrofuturism. It merges various cultures in different parts of Africa with um, futuristic societies. And uh, it's this whole story of um, really belonging and growing up, but juxtaposed in this this, I think juxtaposing two very different elements that we don't see enough in fiction. What if an African girl from a traditional family in a part of future Africa is accepted into the finest university in the galaxy, planets away? What if she decides to go? This is an excerpt from my Binti novella trilogy. I powered up the transporter and said a silent prayer. I had no idea what I was going to do if it didn't work. My transporter was cheap, so even a droplet of moisture, or more likely a grain of sand, would cause it to short. It was faulty, and most of the time I had to restart it over and over before it worked. Please not now, please not now, I thought. The transporter shivered in the sand, and I held my breath. Tiny, flat, and black as a prayer stone, it buzzed softly and then slowly rose from the sand. Finally, it produced the baggage-lifting force. I grinned. Now I could make it to the shuttle on time. I swiped Ojitsé from my forehead with my index finger and knelt down. Then I touched the finger to the sand, grounding the sweet-smelling red clay into it. Thank you, I whispered. Now, Michael, what's your final one? This one is basically... I don't think anyone's not heard of it before. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. And... <laughs> If you have not read this book, go read it. If you love British humour, go read it. If you like irreverent science fiction, go read it. If you like really, really stupid names like Zephyr, Bitter Box, just go read it. And if you like androids that are just paranoids to the point of depression, just go read it. <laughs> if you like towels, go read it. <laughs> if you like towels, go read it. Yes. 
Just, I can't recommend Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy more. Towels, whales, restaurants, dolphins, yes. just all of it. Yeah, somehow, <laughs> everything. Yeah, I, I think science fiction doesn't often have humour associated with it. And I think Douglas Adams is such a great example of how science fiction can be clever and, and futuristic and have all of those elements and still be just hugely funny. Yeah. That's what Hitchhiker's Guide, yes. Well, that's it. We have a nice bunch of recommendations of, um, well, I think they're a nice bunch of recommendations anyway, of books set in space. Let us know what yours are. Do you like the genre? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.